Well, this Advent season, we are looking at the prophecies that Matthew lists in his gospel as evidence for Jewish readers that Jesus is the Messiah that they had been hoping for. And if you were with us last week, or even if you weren't, you wanted a a brief catch-up, the first prophecy that Matthew shares is that a virgin would give birth to a son, and they would call him Emmanuel. He would be a sign that God is with us. And the prophecy was first given in Isaiah chapter 7 to Ahaz, king of Judah, as a promise that God was stronger than Ahaz's enemies. But it was also a warning That if Ahaz placed his faith somewhere other than God, that the very thing he turned to would be the thing that destroyed him. And unfortunately, Ahaz didn't listen to the warning. He paid the price. And to Matthew's first audience, there was again a child born, this time to a true virgin. He was a sign that God was with his people and that they could put their faith in the Messiah and find victory over their truest enemy, sin the thing that separated them from God and all of his blessings. But the Jewish people instead trusted in their political identity and their religious traditions. They turned Jesus over to be crucified only to find the city of Jerusalem and its temple destroyed a few decades later. And to us, Jesus is this crazy sign from God that he can do anything. He can give a virgin the ability to conceive And God still wants people everywhere to understand that he is stronger than our greatest enemy. Our greatest enemy is our sin. And the question is, will we put our faith in Jesus? Will we be able to stand no matter what comes our way in life? Or will we turn to the forces of this world for comfort? Only to find that so often the things we turn to eventually become our downfall. Emmanuel is come as an evidence of God's power. Can we interpret that sign and trust in God's powerful presence? If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to get your Bible out. You might need to borrow one from the chairs in front of you, or you can use a digital Bible, or if you're watching online, feel free to click open a new tab. But if you have a Bible, lift it up nice and high this morning and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. If you don't have one, we would love to get you one or help you find one that you can download. Go ahead and find Matthew chapter 2. Stick one finger in Matthew chapter 2 and another finger in Micah chapter 5. Matthew 2, Micah 5. While you're turning there, I think that all of us as human beings were born with a desire to do something great or to be someone important. There was a father once who decided that it was time to, excuse me, I need to get some water. There was a father who decided it was time to talk to his boy about his plans for the future. (coughs) He said, what do you want to do with your life, son? You want to be a doctor, a lawyer? What do you want to do? His son said, no, none of those, Dad. I want to drive one of those huge army tanks. Well, the father replied, if that's what you want to do, I certainly won't stand in your way. Some of us are faster than others. It's all good. It's all good. We all want to do something with our lives that we see as great and important, but I think many of us fear that we never really will. For some of us, I think we feel like our best days are behind us, that our best shot at significance has passed us by. 
Or for some of us, we feel like there's potential in the future or maybe in our family or those that we've mentored and trained in life. But for some of us, I think we fear that we might die before we ever see the potential realized. And for some of us, I wonder if we feel like a disappointment. Like maybe there was expectations for us. Maybe we had expectations or others had expectations, but they haven't been met yet. And we feel like we maybe never really will live up to those expectations. Matthew's second prophecy fulfilled by Jesus' birth deals with a small town just outside of Jerusalem, which had an identity as a small and rather insignificant farming town. The town had a significant past. It was the birthplace of King David, probably the most esteemed king in Israel's history. Prophecy had given high hopes for the town's future, but years had turned into decades. It had turned into four centuries of waiting. And it must have seemed as if the prophesied future might never come to pass, that Bethlehem's only significance was in its past. So let's pick up Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Matthew says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet's written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too can go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed, and on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So the story, right, is that these magi visit Judah looking for a child who's born. And, and we don't know exactly who the magi were. And we don't know exactly where they're coming from. Somewhere out east of Jerusalem. And they see in the signs, or see in, in the heavens, some kind of a sign in the stars that tells them we should go. There's an important king that has been born in Judea. And we want to go and worship this king. So naturally, when they get to Judea, they go to the capital city of Jerusalem. And there they encounter Herod, who isn't really king. Caesar is king, but Herod kind of calls himself king. That makes him feel good and powerful, and he, he wants people to refer to him as king. And, and so Herod hears that there's an a important birth, that, that like people from foreign countries are coming to visit, and well, Herod kind of gets a little nervous. <laughs> He's not quite sure what's going on here. And, and they ask, where is this child supposed to be born? Where is the, the Messiah supposed to be born? And Herod grew up a Jew, but he doesn't really pay much attention to things of God. And so he doesn't know the answer. So he calls together the chief priests, and he calls together the teachers of the law, and they, they quote for him the prophet Micah. 
saying that the Messiah would be born from Bethlehem and the land of Judah. Micah's prophecy, chapter 5, starting at verse 1, Micah specifically says this. It says, marshal your, oops, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Micah is a prophet who lived shortly before the nation of Israel was taken into exile. Remember last week we talked about how God's people were separated into two different nations, Judah and Israel. And Micah lives at a time just before Israel is carried off into exile. And he prophesies in his book saying that this is going to happen, that Israel is going to go into exile. And he further prophesies that Judah will also go into exile. He warns the people that their sin and idolatry and injustice would lead to God's judgment. But Micah also prophesied that out of those who leave and go into exile, that God would preserve a remnant, that there would be some who would be faithful to him, and God would be with his people, and at a point he would bring them back into his land. And he prophesied that God would eventually raise a ruler out of Bethlehem, and that this ruler would lead God's people to fulfill the covenants God had made with Abraham that he would be a blessing to the nations and establish a kingdom of peace to reach the ends of the earth. So I want to talk to you this morning about what I think this prophecy has to teach us this morning. And first of all, I think that this prophecy teaches us that God's promises are trustworthy. Exactly what Micah says in his book, in his prophetic book, is exactly what happened. Micah wasn't just blowing smoke about the need for God's people to repent of their sin. The sin that they were doing, the idolatry that they were living in, worshiping the foreign gods, living in injustice, ignoring the worship of God, it led directly to God allowing their enemies to overtake Israel and Judah and carry them off into exile. And yet God did not abandon his people. Even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of exile, even in the midst of all of the hardship they were going through, God was with those who were faithful to him. And a remnant of his people returned to Judah. And then 400 years went by, which we say so fast. But for the people living in Judah, living in and around Jerusalem, the, the returned remnant, 400 years has gone by. And they are waiting and wondering. Well, what Micah said started out true. We went into exile. And then what Micah continued with kind of came true. Some of us came back. But man, there's been, there's been 400 years of political upheaval, war, and economic uncertainty Religious blasphemy and intolerance. The whole story of Hanukkah happens. The people living in the time of Matthew had to wonder if God really was true to his word. 
What's the deal with this promised ruler, this Messiah who's supposed to be born in Bethlehem? And Matthew makes sure to include the fulfillment of this prophecy in his gospel story about Jesus. That Jesus was, in fact, the ruler born in Bethlehem who established a kingdom of peace, fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant. But why is that so important for Matthew to include as he's writing to Jewish readers? Because they weren't looking for a kingdom of peace, <laughs> right? The Jewish, the Jewish people at that time, they're expecting that Messiah is going to overthrow Rome. That's who they see as their enemy. And they're saying, we have a political identity and we want to be on top. We have religious traditions and we believe that they should supersede everything going on in the rest of the world. We want God to raise up a leader who will put us in power and overthrow everyone else. We want to be on top. And Jesus comes. And Jesus realizes, God realizes that the thing that has separated God's people from God is not who's the king. It's not what nation is in charge. It's the fact that people's hearts are turned inward on themselves, serving themselves. It is our sin that pulls us away from trusting who God is. What brings violence? What brings injustice? What brings oppression? What brings the economic uncertainty? What brings the disease? What brings all of the things that the Jewish people have been dealing with, really even from when they were a unified nation, a divided nation, back in exile, back into the land, all of the things that have ever been against them, has been their own sin. And so Jesus comes to say, I'm going to establish a kingdom of peace. I'm going to make a way by dying on the cross so that the sins of these people can be forgiven for all time. I will establish a kingdom that is not about political identity. It's not about religious traditions, but it's about my grace. It is about my goodness. This is about the fact that I am the creator God and I can do as I choose and I love these people and I will make a way where they cannot. God's promises are trustworthy. Jesus restores humanity with God and does this for all people. Micah says in verse 4, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely in the greatness of will reach to the ends of the earth. God did through Jesus exactly what he said he would do. The prophecy, I think, also teaches us that God's Messiah is not exclusive. <laughs> the felt desire of God's people at the time of Jesus was to retain their political identity and their religious traditions, and yet God's desire went so much deeper. God wanted to establish peace for all people, not just political power and nationalistic pride for one people. It's absolutely fascinating when you read Matthew's gospel to read, what does Matthew say? What is the story that surrounds the inclusion of this prophecy? It's magi from some land out east. It, it, it's these people who, who they don't know God. They don't worship God. They see something in the stars that tells them something significant, a significant ruler has been born. And so they go to figure it out. And when they get there, well, the political king in the area, he, 
He's afraid of God's Messiah. So he calls the religious leaders, and, and the religious leaders, they know about the prophecies. They share the prophecies correctly, but they, they seem to ignore the Messiah, just stay comfortable in the temple in Jerusalem. But who goes to visit is these foreigners who don't even know anything about the Jewish religion, but they go and they find the child. They find the Messiah. They find Emmanuel, and they give him gifts. They lavish him with their worship and their praise because Matthew wants us to understand that God's Messiah is not exclusive, but he is for all people. This has always been the Abrahamic covenant that God's chosen people would be a blessing to the entire world. Lastly, I think that Matthew's inclusion of this prophecy teaches us that God uses the little guy. Bethlehem was a small city outside the capital of Jerusalem. It had an important part in Israel's past. The prophet Samuel had anointed King David in that small village. But the village never really grew, and not much else of importance seemed to happen there. And several hundred years before Matthew writes his gospel, Micah had spoken over the city saying that God was going to use it mightily as part of the story of redemption for all people. But, but that hope seemed long forgotten as the village faded back into obscurity until Jesus. When he came, he fulfilled the prophecy. And that small village is now one of the most famous places in the entire world. What does all this mean for you this morning? I'm guessing for somebody listening this morning, maybe here in the sanctuary or maybe watching online or joining with one of the podcasts, you might feel like maybe you can't trust God. You're wrestling with this idea. Is God really worth trusting? Because maybe you've read your Bible and maybe you've spent time in prayer, and maybe you've gone to church, but you can't help but wonder, what are you up to? What are you doing? Because maybe in your life you've faced some difficult things, and, and maybe even this past year has been difficult for you. Maybe somebody that you cared about died. Maybe your financial situation is less secure. Maybe your health has taken a hit, or... Maybe you had hopes for what you thought would happen. And it just seems like it is taking so long for your hopes to come that you doubt you'll ever see it. And just like the Jewish people at the time of Matthew, you feel like, I've been doing the religious thing. I've been doing what I'm supposed to do. I've been trying to keep all of the religious traditions, but God does not seem to be keeping up his end. And you pray. God seems silent. And this was exactly how the Jewish people felt. And yet God was true to his promises. He had a plan. And at a perfect moment in time, he executed his plan. And he asks us today to continue to place our trust in him, even when it seems like it's taking longer than we expected for his promises to come true even when it seems like the hardship is more than we can bear, and even when it seems like God is silent, may we know that he is still working, that his promises are still intact, and that he's asking you once again to be part of the faithful remnant 
who doesn't give in to sin and idolatry, but who knows and understands that God's desire is to establish a kingdom of peace for all people and for you. Even in the midst of what might feel like political tension or financial insecurity or moral compromise, God has not abandoned his people. His kingdom isn't losing, and it will not lose. But the Messiah will build his kingdom of peace for those who trust him. For some of you, I wonder if maybe you fear that the Messiah isn't for you. Maybe you haven't always belonged to God's people. You weren't born in the church, or maybe you were, but you strayed from it for a while. You pursued what this world had to offer, and you hear about Jesus, and, and Jesus to you seems like a nice concept for those religious people. Them over there, that's good for them. But you can't imagine that God thinks too much of you. Oh, but he does. God's purpose is not to destroy you, but to call you away from your sins so that you can see the hope that is offered in Jesus. He died on the cross, not for those whose lives were put together, not for those who were super religious and those who were perfect, but he wanted to pave a way for those who felt separated from God so that they might be able to draw near to God's power and his presence. Through his perfect sacrifice, they could experience peace. Jesus came intentionally for those who felt farthest from God's presence to invite them into his kingdom. He wasn't just for the Jewish people. He didn't die for the elite, the rich, the powerful, the clean, those born of the right ethnicity or with the right upbringing. He was born for you. And his kingdom of peace is for you. And he paid the debt that you owed to God that you couldn't pay on your own so that you could experience the peace of God that he created you in his image to experience in the beginning of time. Your part like the Magi is simply to recognize him. And the little bit that you understand, you don't have to have it all together, but start where you are. And with the little bit you know, give him your worship. Some listening today, I wonder if maybe you feel insignificant. Maybe you feel like your best days are behind you. Any shot you had for significance in your life has passed you by. Maybe you wonder if there's any potential in your future. You feel like that potential is so far away, you're never going to make it. Or maybe you just feel like a disappointment. Like the expectations you had or the expectations that others had for you, you're never going to live up to them. The city of Bethlehem wore all of those identities, and yet God did use the city exactly as he promised. And to someone listening today, God wants to remind you, you are not so small and insignificant as the lies of the enemy would want you to believe. You don't have to give up hope of what God may yet do through your life. For some of you, you might be living in retirement. And God may use your influence on your family and your community in ways that you never imagined. Some of you may have had a dream for what God would do through your life, and it hasn't been realized yet because God's perfect timing isn't right. But he has not forgotten you. You may feel like that disappointment because you've never accomplished or lived up to what your expectations were, but God wants to remind you, so long as you have life, 
you have a role to play in bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. You could speak to a friend or a neighbor or a family member and offer them encouragement and hope that points them towards God's goodness. You could play a role in God's redemption. You could serve at the pantry or bring someone to group, meet someone for for coffee or answer their questions about God and the Bible. You could go on a trip to serve others or invite someone to join you for worship on a Sunday morning. No matter what, so long as you have life, you have the ability to pray. Never, ever underestimate the power of your prayers. God's kingdom grows on the faith of his people as they pray. And we need your prayers. What if we worried less about being small and insignificant and instead we just gave what we were wholly to the Lord, believing that God wasn't against us and that his promises of a kingdom of peace with God apart from sin still held true and that he sees a place for you inside of that kingdom? And what if this Christmas we understood that something as big as the promised kingdom of God flows through something that may seem small and insignificant, like a small little church in Largo, Florida called Oak Ridge? What if we saw our own lives, not as small and insignificant, separated from God and abandoned to our own doubts and fears, but what if we were willing to play our part, however seemingly small it was, to see the presence of the Messiah come into the lives of our family, our neighbors, and our community. Matthew's gospel included the words of the prophet Micah so that his readers for all time would understand God's promises are trustworthy. His Messiah is not exclusive. And God can use the little guy. Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world. God, I thank you that you used the words of the prophet Micah and that you used a small little town called Bethlehem and that we today, sitting here in Largo, Florida, or wherever we may be listening online, God, we can understand something from that story. And we can know again and be reminded again that, God, your promises are true that you are for all people. It's not just about one group that is different than us or better than us or more significant than us or stronger than us, but you are for all people making a way where there seems to be no way. And that, God, your desire is to establish your kingdom, to draw our hearts and our minds back to you that we would forsake sin and injustice and idolatry and and trying to get our own way and our own pride and that we would just see Jesus for who he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that when we have found him, we wouldn't see our role as small and insignificant and unimportant, but that we would know that God uses the smallest of things, even people like us, so that his kingdom may come and his will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to see you, Jesus, this Christmas and help us to fall more in love with who you are and who you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This morning we're going to continue in worship through the giving of tithes and offerings. There are plates available uh, at the doors here to the building if you would like to 
uh, give or if you're able to give this morning. Also, for those joining online or here in-house, uh, we would invite you to give online at oakridgewc.com give or use your bank's online bill pay or mail checks to the church. But we thank you for continuing to worship the Lord through your giving as it enables us to continue the ministries here at Oak Ridge. We would love to invite you uh, back out next week as we continue in our Advent series. Invite you to uh, Campfire Christmas and uh, hope that you have a great week.